think everything he points to is to say, keep your eyes fixed on me. And that's where your safety and security and blessings come from. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. With me today, we've got Eric. Hey. And Karen. Hello. And we've got Tracy. Good morning. So I've got some news. I think it's pretty awesome news. And I shared some of it with you earlier, uh, my fellow podcasters. But it kind of got better as the week went on. So... The site that I post the podcast to gives some tracking of how the podcast does, you know, how many people are listening, where they're listening from. Don't worry, I can't see I can't see who exactly you are and stuff like that, but you know, I can uh, I can I can just kind of give get an idea of how well the podcast is doing. Well, back in way back in April, we had had a high number of listeners for a particular week, and that number was a whopping 38. And, uh, you know, I was I'm pretty happy about that. We're kind of just a little grassroots thing here. We're not, uh, we're not, we're not putting a lot of money into this. We're not trying to, uh, we're not trying to get famous by it. <clears throat> we're just looking for an opportunity to serve hey, where we can. No, we're not going to get famous from this. Well, I don't know. <laughs> local. Local. Yeah. Well, you know, we've got, we actually have listeners all around the world, guys. <laughs> and a few few more show up here and there like where's that you know but um two percent of our listeners are in ireland i don't know wow. <laughs> yeah but i mean we've got them i think we've got some in africa we've got some uh or at least they've listened at least once i don't know they might have listened to my rambling for two seconds and went nope not listening to that but um this week though i don't know what happened it's awesome uh i'm gonna count it to god and to uh the faithfulness of our listeners we had a record high this past week of 113 listens to our podcast. Yay. And so, shout out to that person in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hopefully they're still listening. I hope so. I don't know. But, you know, it's just kind of it's kind of cool. It, it kind of humbles Can me. Can I come over? I've always wanted to go to Ireland. Maybe that's not on fire. Maybe. Yeah. Well, everything's green there. Everything stays wet, I think, so. Yeah, I don't know. For those listening, yeah, we're 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 in Colorado, and the entire western part of the United States is on fire. And our outside, if you were in England or Ireland, you'd think it might be fog, but here it's smoke, and the sun is rather orangish and a little bit of a tint of revelation. Um, <laughs> it's it is quite the thing. Our voices are all just probably a little bit scratchier for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got my water bottle here, keeping things just a little bit moistened. And <laughs> that and, was uh... <laughs> that could be mistaken for a sinus rinse. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, I'm kind of excited. I mean, I was just looking at this graph, and all of a sudden, that graph shot way up high, and I was like, "Wow, what happened?" I don't know what happened, but um. I just thought it was cool, and I wanted to share that with everybody because um, I don't know. It's uh, it's just it's good to see that uh, we're making at least a little leeway and showing people that the Bible is logical and and worthwhile to follow. So, on that note, let's get into our discussion for today. We are discussing this week the book of Numbers, chapter fifteen, or starting in fifteen, going through chapter twenty. And the chapter starts with, uh, well, we get some more, some more laws. We get some more specifics about how things are supposed to happen. It starts with the laws of grain and drink offerings. And it says, uh, this is when the Israelites have come into Canaan. Let's see. They're good. When they have come into Canaan, so this is like looking for into the future here, but they are going to be making, to making an offering with a tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with a fourth of a hint of oil and a fourth of a hint of wine when they offer a lamb. Uh, if they offer a ram, they're going to do that with, let's see, my notes are all scratchy, two-tenths of ephah flour, a third of a hint of oil, a third of a hint of wine. If they have a young bull, it's going to be three-tenths of an ephah with flour and with a half a hint of oil and a hint of wine. And 
this law is going to be the same for natives and for strangers, and they're going to make a heave offering of a cake of their of the first of their ground meal. Why? Well, all these things we're going to find out that a lot of these things that they get offered, they're really just there to support the priests. And if it doesn't go on the fire, well, we'll get to that. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Uh, the next one is kind of interesting, though. You have a law concerning unintentional sin. And I had a kind of a question here because it seemed that when they're talking about unintentional sins, they're talking about an un, uh, possibly an unintentional sin of the entire society. Or if a person sins and they don't realize they, that they've sinned, that this is a problem for the entire society. Did you guys take that that way at all? Yeah. Yeah, there's so. And there's a breakdown. There's a contrast to that in verse 30 to where uh, if a person does anything with a high hand, basically it's like, you can't make me. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do this thing. Then that's a different situation, and that's not an offering situation. As I recall, you're to be um, cut off. You're to be you know, put out of the community. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah so go ahead. No, I was going to say there, yeah, there does seem to be unintentional for the, there's such a thing for the entire group. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting that an unintentional sin for an individual is a problem for the group. And I kind of take that maybe to mean that that the group has failed in letting that person know that what they were doing was wrong. I don't know. Uh, but it does say that the priest, they would offer a bull. The whole congregation would offer a bull, and the priest then would make atonement for the whole congregation. So this is for all of Israel. So if somebody unintentionally sins, and man, that's, I don't know, that seems like a, maybe a, how do you know, how do you know that you've unintentionally sinned, one, and is this happening every time somebody has done it, or, hmm, I don't know, but, um. There is, because the yeah, go ahead, Karen. Unintentionally sin, then you have a bull. If just one person sins unintentionally, then it's a year-old female goat. That's right. But for anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or foreigner, blasphemes the Lord, they must be cut off. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it goes into, you know, what do you do if you... Uh, you know, this guy who was caught breaking the Sabbath, and that was a you know, public stoning. Right. So I guess the important thing to take away though here is that there's always there's always something in place for whether you know you did it. Well there really wasn't there really wasn't something to be done if you knew you did it though. If you knew you did it, you're like, I don't care, I'm gonna do it anyway. There was there really was no process to be to be um, to get forgiveness for that one. It says, yeah, that's, that, where cut, that's where you're cut off. Yeah, that person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. So the thing that I kept thinking, reading, you know, reading unintentional sin and defiant sin, and then this guy who was caught breaking the Sabbath, gathering wood on the Sabbath, and he was stoned. I mean, my goodness. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I kept thinking was social contagion so social contagion is this thing where if i am around a group of friends and i am a married couple i'm in a married marriage and a bunch of us hang out as couples and one of those couples divorces the other couples become exponentially more likely to divorce hmm if I gain weight, other women in the group will be exponentially more likely to gain weight. If I am health conscious and I lose weight, or if I work out regularly, or if I do these things. So social contagion is, is just that, like we, uh, that whole, um, you know, baby holding, we become changed kind of idea. And, and as, as a man thinks, so is he. So like whatever, whatever it is that you spend your time thinking about, that's what you end up doing. That's the person you become. And we infect each other socially with by spreading our by spreading our issues until they become a norm. And that's a real thing. Like they they've yeah. tracked that through 
dozens of different social scenarios and it, it, it remains true. Interesting. So a little bit like peer pressure, but not necessarily conscious. Yeah, uh, it's just we it's just people adapting to each other. And so mm-hmm. so if if you're God and you're trying to formulate a group of a large group of people who are living in very close quarters to each other into a certain well mold, then yeah. I mean, to me, the the idea of being killed because you're gathering wood on the Sabbath is very strange. Yeah. Yeah, it seems extreme. Yeah. To us. Yeah. 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 Now, I think, too, that that this was, this was, there's probably more to it than we see here. It, it wasn't probably like, you know, just stepped outside his tent and just picked up a stick. You know, I mean, this was a the thing they lived and they probably had to. I mean, this was this was going to work, and this was probably the least favorite work and st- stuff like that. But nonetheless, to Karen's point, and we see chapter sixteen is pretty much how this plays out. Once this gets out of control, don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but, mm-hmm. but we I do see that, an. Ex- Go ahead, Tracy. Oh, I think that's to Eric's point. What he's bringing is is it starts with something as minute as gathering wood, and it could spring into something super huge what we're going to get into here that God has to intervene in a uh, drastic way. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just that little, little spark of discontent that could just erupt into a huge fire. Not no puns intended here in Colorado, but um, <laughs> it, it can manifest as something huge. Um, yeah. And we do see a lot of discontent in our reading this week. So um, yeah, you can see how it starts small and just grows. And, and my thing goes, I was thinking of it more like, you know, they were in an encampment, they were super organized, and this just kind of stuck out like a sore thumb that somebody was moving about gathering on the Sabbath when everything was, there was an order to it, and this could be easily recognized. I don't think it was like what we were saying before. I don't think it was just a matter of, you know, stepping out the front door and grabbing some wood. I think it was like almost a display that everybody could see, like, what is he doing, mm-hmm. you know, to that point. Right. Yeah, well, I, they um, went out and grabbed him up and took him to Aaron and Moses. Go ahead, Karen. Um, my my son, when he was a teenager, I know this will shock anyone who's ever raised a teenager, but he used to try to push the edges of his curfew, whatever that was. Hmm. And finally... I got to the point where I was like, okay, the door is getting locked at such and such a time. Be back or find somewhere else to sleep. Like seriously. And he was like, well, I don't know why you're making such a big deal out of it. It's only 10 minutes. And I was like, if it's not a big deal, then why are you always late by 10 minutes? If it actually wasn't a big deal, sometimes you'd wander in early by 10 minutes. Exactly. He was like, oh, well, okay. Yeah. Okay. I see your point. I'm like, be back on time or the door will be locked. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes a parent has to take a, a you, you got to, you got to dig your heels in mm-hmm. and, and take a stand. But, and, and so the well, things don't push, pushing the edges and that, yeah. and it's exactly what we, like what we were talking about. One minute, your toes in the water and the next minute, like you're drowning. It's like, come on, mm-hmm. right. figure it out. Yeah. Well, chapter uh, 15 ends with, a little interesting thing about uh, okay. telling the people to put tassels on their garments, and this was a commandment from God to put the put these tassels on their their garments with a blue with some blue thread in them. And it was, the idea was to remind them to keep the commandments. So, I mean, today we think of it like you know tying a string around your finger or uh, maybe a you know rubber band or something, just something to constantly see and constantly remind you keep these commandments. Of course, it's interesting that that comes right after the guy who was apparently deliberately breaking Sabbath. So, Well, they, the, I thought that the way that it was described in verse 39 was actually fairly colorful. It yeah. says, you will have tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Mm. Oh, my goodness. That actually reminded me of that text in James where it says, you know, true... True, what is it? True religion is, what is it? True, true religion is this, 
that, that you care for widows and orphans in their trouble and keep yourself unspotted from the world. <laughs> oh, that's mm. so much easier to say than to do. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I think especially telling in that, as I'm reading from the ESV, the last part of verse 39, chapter 15, do not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. Is it, oh. that is... That is leads us straight into chapter sixteen. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sixteen gets interesting real quick here. Uh, a group of people led by Korah, who is a Levite, Dathan, Obira, uh, Abiram, and On, who I believe are all Reubenites. They get two hundred and fifty other leaders. And they come up against Moses and Aaron, and they're they come up and they're they're basically they're like, you know what, this whole congregation is holy. Why do you guys exalt yourselves? So I think another another point in to jump in there is that not only were they they there were men of high esteem um, within that community, but they were actually Korah was related to Moses. That was his cousin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is family now, which makes it even worse. Yeah. So yeah. to put so puts the context into this is I, I read some other things too that kind of gave me a little bit of a better picture. And as I read through this again, for Korah to show up with these other people and to two hundred and fifty princes, and the number of people we see show up later, this wasn't a plan that was hatched just like sitting around having coffee like hey you know what yeah that's been bugging me too let's go talk to moses by the time they talk to moses you've got Korah, dathan abiram and 250 other chiefs plus their families plus a bunch of the other congregation all dead set against moses so this was a thing that had been hatched and fermented and planned and organized for quite a while by the time they show up to Moses. Yeah, and there'd obviously been a lot of just behind-the-scenes talking and yep. and uh, gossiping. And, yeah, well, I remember last week, Aaron, Aaron and Miriam had, you know, they, they'd been talking against Moses' wife. Uh, which, which gives context to this. I mean, it isn't as if they hadn't seen an example of, yeah. hey, if you're... If your plan is to speak against those that God himself has appointed, hey, there's this God takes this seriously. This was Moses' sister that this happened to. And yet they did not seem to over and over in this chapter. And this is probably one of the chapters that to me blows my mind the most as to how I guess I mean, we use this this term now, um, a social uh, an echo chamber. Because we've got social media, you can get people around you that convince you of your particular point of view. These people are probably the deepest into that of any I remember in the Bible. Because when an obvious judgment of God shows up, the next thing they do is like, you killed God's people. You're like, whoa, wait, what? How could you? Did you not see anything? Were you not listening? And so they are so utterly convinced when they begin this that they are in the right that they just they they cannot see anything different. They just can't. And they are mm-hmm. one of the things is that they're convinced of is that all the congregation is holy. Every one of them. Basically, as I read it, they're saying, "Hey, look. We can set our boundaries. What who's this God basically who he's the one who is saying you got to do this and that and the other." And they're blaming Moses for all this. They're making it sound like Moses made up all these rules. Because yeah. down in 11, Moses actually says, therefore, it is against the Lord that you and your company have gathered together. They propose that it's against Moses. It's like, hey, who's this dude, Moses, who decided to appoint his brother? Right. You know, there have been times as I've been reading it, I've kind of had those same thoughts, too. It's like, wow, you kind of look at this. It, it would seem from the outside that Moses has set up his own family to really do well here. But we see from what what comes up that this was God who did all these choices, made all these decisions, and set and set this up the way He did. 
But Moses says to Korah, he says, isn't it enough that God has separated you as a Levite? I mean, the Levites, we're going to see, the Levites really had it kind of cushy. They get all the best stuff. They get the first of everything. Yeah, they're um, supposed to. It never turned out that way. They're but. supposed to. Yeah, they're supposed to. <laughs> Um, but you know, you, you, you're, you're in a position of real high esteem here. And he says, yeah. do you need to be a priest too? Yeah. Uh, and he says, you are against the Lord. So Moses doesn't even necessarily take this person. He's like, you're doing, you're against God on this. And, uh, he calls, he calls Dathan and Abiram to come mm-hmm. and to talk to them. And I don't know, I guess I see it almost as being a little childish. They won't come. Yeah. Yeah, that's in verse 12 and 13. Right. I mean, you have a problem with me. Let's talk this out. You know, and nope, they won't even come. But they accuse Moses of acting like a prince and not keeping promises. And now Moses gets kind of angry. He says, uh, I think he's talking in a prayer. He says, says, I haven't done anything. I haven't taken anything from them, and I haven't hurt them in any way. Yeah, it's 15. Mm-hmm. Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering, because they, they're all saying, yeah, we'll, we'll be priests and so on. Mm-hmm. Moses says to God, I have not taken one donkey from them and have not harmed one of them. And that's an interesting point, is if Moses and Aaron were truly set up to be some sort of exclusive leaders. OK, let's remember that Aaron had two sons killed. Miriam has had leprosy moses's sons we don't see them really in any kind of position of authority ever he, it, right. moses is for being a leader of these people if he's setting himself and his family up to be a dictator he's doing a pretty bad job because <laughs> he hasn't taken any of their stuff he yep. hasn't installed his own children as leaders and so basically my point with that is is that their charges are made up yeah he, I refer back to to last week when we were talking, and he wrote, he was the humblest man in the world. (laughs) You know, and and this kind of speaks to that, is that, you know, it was divinely set, even before the Exodus, that um, his brother was going to be with him, and and how that was going to work. But I look at it as, you know, at this point, you see him get angry. He doesn't get angry very often. No. And I think no. it's, you know, to the point of him being, you know, I'm so humble in that, you know, I'm trying to build a bridge with these people and basically I'm getting snubbed. It's like, yeah. I think that's the biggest snub you can do is when somebody invites you to to do some reckoning and some forgiving and to work out things that they just say, you know what, I'm not coming. I don't even want to hear it. Right. Let's see. Well, everybody who was against Moses gather at the door of the tabernacle. So they kind of come in this mob. And God says to Moses and Aaron, he says, separate yourselves and I will consume them. That would terrify me, you know, but uh, Moses, but Moses and Aaron, they actually start to intercede for the people. Yep. Again, Uh, again, they intercede for the people. But then God says, all right, fine. Tell the congregation to get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. And I'm curious, there's no more mention of on here. He was one of the ones that he was one of the instigators at the beginning, and there's no mention of him at, at this point. So I don't know if he changed his mind. I don't know if he just wasn't as vocal or what, but he didn't. He wasn't part of what was going to happen here. No, you mentioned something just in passing, just right there, that I think we should note as we as the story unfolds, and that was had a chance to change their mind. Mm-hmm. They have multiple opportunities here. I mean, count them. Moses is talking to Korah. He's like, hey, what? I'm going to call you on this and think about what What are you doing? And then he says, hey, Nadab and Abihu, let's talk. Nope. Hey, well, if you were, if the 250 of you want to, let's talk in front of the tabernacle. We've got all of these. And then Moses says, you know, to, to everybody else here in 25, depart from the tents of these wicked men. You would think that at that point somebody might say, okay, wait a minute. Hey, which side of this am I going to be on? Because we had a dividing also with the Levites uh, after the worshiping at the golden calf. It's like, hey, everybody separate yourself, pick a side. And so mm-hmm. they're given an opportunity here again to pick a side. And then we see there's an overnight where people have an opportunity to think about things. And at, at every opportunity, they don't. They don't, they don't repent. Right. And so, in well, the... 
In the theme of social contagion, like I talked about earlier, I would like to point out that these three fellows' tents are near each other. Mm-hmm. They were neighbors. It's not like it's not like they rearranged the camp so that they could live by each other because they were plotting. <laughs> it happened the other way around. They already lived by each other, and this is what they had cooked up between themselves. Yeah. Well, so Moses comes out and he says, oh, basically something's going to happen. Uh, he says, if these guys die naturally, then fine. God hasn't sent me. But he says, if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. And that's exactly what happens. They're... Their families, their tents, everything, it just opens up, closes up. They are, and they're gone. I mean, they're just gone. Yeah. It's it's interesting. One of the side notes I have, well, actually, I've got a, it's not a cross-reference Bible, but I've got, um, I guess you'd call it the margin cross-references. And in the, in chapter 26, depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs lest you be swept away with their sins that is referenced to revelation 18 and it's re- re- referenced to eight revelation 18 4 and this is the fall of babylon and this is god saying this is this is in our future so we're, we're looking back we're like hey what kind of lessons can we look at for the future here's one right here Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. So God has people in Babylon. Babylon's the bad place, right? It's where all the Mm. nasty things happen in Revelation. So God has people who are still in Babylon at this point, right? Very fascinating. Come out of her, my people, lest you part, take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Mm. So it keeps reading and God is saying, hey, there is a time for you to step away, to say, you know what, this place that I was in, these positions that I held, this thing that I thought, it's time for me to renounce that and to to get out. That mm. is a literal thing in Revelation for the future, and it's referenced right here. Hey, these people are doing wrong. They are they are fighting against God. That's that's really interesting here. They make it out like they're fighting against Moses. And both Moses and God say, no, 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 this is a fight against me. And you better separate yourself from these people or you are going to receive the same punishment they will receive. We see it a couple times here in 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after after that happens, there is there's a, another little reckoning here. Not little. 250, 250 men who had earlier in the chapter offered up incense in opposition to Moses and Aaron. So I'm taking this to kind of be like Aaron's sons when they offered up their what was called profane fire, their unauthorized fire, whatever. Yeah. These guys tried to do the same thing. 250 of them tried to do the same thing, and fire consumes them. They're gone. Takes everything except but the the censers that they right. were offering their incense in are like left behind. And the gold of the censers gets made into a covering for an altar. It says uh, as a memorial. How did that put? I got to look at that here. Uh, verse 40. To be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord that he might not become like Korah and his companions just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. So they would have this covering for the altar for the rest of the existence of the tabernacle. And uh, it would be a reminder that the priests are put into us into a special place, and you, if you're not a priest, this is not for you. Yeah. And then it goes on. This is the part that is just one of the most uh, face palm <laughs> I, I that I can think of. Period, yeah, in the Bible, <laughs> it is. But it on is. the next day, I'm on the like, very are you kidding me, yeah. <laughs> very next day you it's been right in front of you you saw this whole thing play out right in front of you and the people blame moses for the death right, of that Korah. is what they, blows me away like moses could make the earth open up like moses yeah. could make fire come down from heaven and burn 250 people up i'm like what i for for them to to be so convinced that this is all about moses is i cannot get my head around this 
Mm-hmm. Well, clearly God can't get his head around it either because he's instantly, he says, get away from these people that I may consume them in a moment. And he sends this, it calls it uh, in this new King James, so it starts sending a plague in here. And this plague starts working so fast yep. that people just start dropping. And Moses says to Aaron, go make atonement for the people right now. Go do it. And it happens so fast that before Aaron can, can make that atonement, it said 14,700 people die before that atonement was made. Wow. They had, <laughs> it seems like they had finally gotten on that last nerve <laughs> right there that God had had. And, uh, you know, just complaining, 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 and, and continually, continuing to not see where the problem lie. The problem wasn't with Moses and it wasn't with God. It was with them. It was, you know, they were the problem. You know what's fascinating with this too is that at every turn, although Moses feels like, hey, don't be doing this, both Moses and Aaron intercede for the people. Mm-hmm. Even oh. though these people are set against them, they pray for them. They, they ask them not to do this. They talk to reckon with them. They, they they speak to God and say, oh, no, don't do this. Here's Aaron running out with a censer to among the people who were just moments ago saying, we're going to take you down. Mm-hmm. But that's been the yeah. talk for the entire exodus at this point. You know, he, they've had to do that over and over where Moses was saying, take my life. Take my life and spare these people. God would be and- like, oh, no, we can't do that. And I think Aaron's got his own experience with this, because isn't he golden calf guy? Yes. So, I mean, he's well aware of how quickly somebody can get steered wrong and have to be (laughs) corrected. Mm. Well, we move into Numbers chapter 17. We get kind of a little cool story here. It's not a very long chapter, but it it seems like God is, is... Again, he's going to reinforce his decision, decisions here to the people. And he says, okay, I want all the leaders of the 12 tribes to come. And I want you each to bring a rod, a stick, including Aaron as the head of Levi. And he says, the rod of the chosen man is going to blossom. So all the rods get placed in a tabernacle. Uh, seems like for a time period was it overnight i don't know if it said for sure but um place this says moses placed the rods before the lord in the tabernacle of witness yeah the next day mm-hmm. moses moses goes in everybody apparently they wrote their name on their on their rod and they go in the next day and aaron's rod not only, not only sprouted it got buds it got blossoms and it even produced almonds overnight it's uh <laughs> i'm getting a mental image of I, I know it's the wrong context, but of Pinocchio's nose growing out and, and, sp- and sprouting leaves, and then a, 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 even with a, a a nest full of birds in it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, you know, I mean, he says going to sprout. Not only does it sprout, but the thing even produces even produces nuts. And so it's like, not only have I chosen Aaron, I have really, really chosen Aaron. See, Aaron is the priest. It goes to. To say that he has to set this thing at extremes for these people. Mm-hmm. You know, and you hate to say these people, but it, you know, he has to go above and beyond. It's not only is it going to, a dead piece of wood is going to sprout or blossom, but now I have to make it yield fruit just so you can get the idea. So it leaves it a, above and beyond reproach. Mm-hmm. Right. So kind of a cool little story. And that, that rod then gets put in with what they call the testimony. So it's put in with the ark. Uh, I think eventually it ends up, it, it goes in the ark at some point and sit, and stays there with the Ten Commandments. And it says, this is, it says this is going to be a sign for any future rebellion. So in the future, if anybody ever has a problem with who is in the priesthood, here you go. You got this to look at right here. God chose Aaron. Aaron's line is going to be the priests, period. That's the way God put it. And here's the proof. There was a sentence that made me laugh, though, and that's in verse 30, where it says, this will put an end to their grumbling against me so that they will not die. <laughs> You'd hope. 
Oh, so, okay, numbers 18. Now, in case we think that this was, you know, I said kind of a cush job, in case we take that to be kind of literal and thinking that these guys just, were, you know, had it made, the numbers 18 starts right out. It says, you Levites, you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary. So we've talked about that sanctuary service. We've talked about how all of those sins would get placed on the sanctuary. Well, it sounds like it was they were, this is this is a burden put on the Levites. So sure, they're going to get some nice stuff, but this isn't exactly going to be easy on them because they've got to take they got to take responsibility for all of these things that is affecting the entire congregation of Israel that's coming to the sanctuary, and it's put on these guys. Yeah, that's an interesting thing that um, in our, at least contemporary world, our idea of being blessed means, you know, you just get to sip a cool drink, you know, as you're sitting in your uh, lounge chair on the edge of the pool or the beach. You don't do anything. And these people in in um, in six, it says that this is a gift. Uh, and it's given to them, but then it's a gift that they give to the Lord. And in seven, again, is that the priesthood is a gift. But it's, it is. Mm-hmm. It's work. It's responsibility. In, yeah. in 20, I've got a note here for 20, and this relates to the same thing, is to whom much is given, much is required. I mean, mm-hmm. because you, you, you would have to, by this point, if you were paying attention, realize that, hey, when God says this is how we ought to be looking at things and doing things, we should take it seriously. Which I guess I would ask this question for discussion. Did God change between this point and that? Now, the ceremonies changed, certainly. You know, the, the new covenant is the, Jesus is the reality of what these things are pointing forward to. But is God serious about things when he says, no, when I said this, this is what I meant. And when people come up with, uh, you know, I got, a, I got a different idea. Let's, let's do this instead. You know, I mean, my heart's in the right place, but I'm going to do this other thing instead. Has God changed? No, because here when you're looking at what's happening with the Levites being chosen, the Levites got chosen instead of firstborn males. So God was like, these are going to be mine. But then he says, you can redeem those guys and I'm going to take these guys instead. It's more like a gradual revealing of his purpose. It's not that he changed. It's that we've seen we've seen a progression of, you know, okay, this is going to cut. You know, you're gonna. I, this is going to cost you. Then it's like, well, it would cost you, except that I'm going to give you an opportunity to put this on me, and and uh, and then I'm going to take care of it for you. But if you if you if you don't if you don't take this out, then it's going to remain the way it was to begin with. So, you know, we talk about the, um, even here in the chapter, it talks about men and, un- and unclean animals being able to, able to be redeemed. You wouldn't sacrifice those unclean animals, but they could get redeemed. Sure. Right? Well, my, we, my, go ahead. Maybe I'm missing question, your point. A little bit, maybe. And I want to hear from Tracy and Karen, too. The principles of worship. If God says, hey, this is what I want you to do, whether it's worship or any, any number of other things, you know, do we get to say, you know, that was nice, but I'm going to do this instead. Mm, I get what you're saying. Has God, has his principles, I mean, should we be concerned about what God said specifically to do or to not do? Or do we get to say, you know, as long as my heart's in it, I'm just going to just do this other thing instead. Or is this a thing that just closes out in numbers? And after this, God is pretty much like, yeah, you know, pretty much anybody can do whatever you want. You know, I always look back and, and take a look and, and go with it. Lean not on your own understanding. Because I think when we interject our our own personal and human experience, we lose exactly. We can't see the big picture like God does. We only see it in a minute part. And I think everything that we've covered to this point on, when somebody tries to make those kind of decisions for God or use their own judgment, 
it's an error. I think everything he points to is to say, keep your eyes fixed on me. And that's where your safety and security and blessings come from. Yeah, I see what we're going. Go ahead, Karen. I, I think that our perspective is so limited. Like, I, I get what God is saying. And yet, from my perspective, down here on planet Earth, you know, stuck in the weeds of my own life, I can't see that. And I want results that I can see and feel. So I want to reach out and do it my way now to satisfy myself. And, okay, great, yes, there's the human perspective and there's the divine perspective and those are not the same thing. But does that mean that when God gives specific instruction, I should compromise that because I don't get it? Well, no, it doesn't mean that. And and it gets, I think, I think it gets tricky because there are a number of places where God gives very specific instruction and that is immovable. And then there are other areas where he gives guidelines instead. And within those guidelines, you can kind of move around and find your, find your spot, find your lane and, and do your thing. So for me, the, the easy answer to your question, Eric, is no, we sh- God hasn't changed. The more complicated answer is making sure that my little peon human brain understands the difference between the situations where God actually says, hey, here's the line, tow it. And, and the, the times where God says, you should, you should kind of go this way. You should make sure you're in this direction. And sometimes that gets tricky. Yeah, we don't get to just decide. Sometimes we get to decide how we're going to serve God. See, but exactly. There, but yeah, there are there are times when he said, I want you to do this. And we don't get to say, yeah, but I mean, that goes all the way back to Cain. Right. You know, and we don't even get indication with Cain necessarily that he was specifically told how and what to sacrifice, what to offer well, to God. Well, he obviously but, was because he wouldn't but, have been expected to know the standard. Yeah, yeah, and we discussed that way back then, so we don't need to necessarily recap that other than to show that that God did take that seriously and his sacrifice was rejected, and there was a reason for that because he obviously should have known better. So so these duties of the priests and Levites, they got to take this iniquity on them. They got to take all the I mean iniquity, blame, all all the all the Everything that, that has to do with the sin of the Israelites is going to be put on them and the tabernacle there. But that's not the only thing they get because all these offerings that get offered up, everything that essentially everything that doesn't get burned belongs to the priests. So like when you would have some of these offerings and they would take the fat out of the animal, they would burn the fat. Well, the rest of the animal belongs to the priests and they get to eat that when there would be uh, grain offerings and these wave offerings and all these different things, if it doesn't get burned, it goes to the priests. They would get, and they would get a lot of the best stuff. And this yeah, is because they, is... they didn't have their own inheritance. They didn't get right. land. They didn't get, they didn't get ways to really produce for themselves. So they're kind of at the, um, they're, they have to live off of basically the, I'm gonna say generosity, but they gotta they they gotta live off of what what is is given to them. Go ahead, uh, Eric. Yeah, I was just gonna say that's in verse twenty, mm-hmm. where she said, where the Lord says to Aaron, "You shall have no inheritance in the land." Remember, when everybody else gets in, flash forward, they get a, you get this land and you get this land. Levites don't get any; they get a few cities, they get some areas, but they don't. Their family doesn't get what everybody else gets. Mm-hmm. Um, and God says, I think this is interesting, I am your portion and your inheritance mm-hmm. among the people of Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've talked before about how the how God chose the Levites. I was touching on it here a little bit. And how the firstborn of men and animals were all supposed to belong to God. But and uh, it was an episode or two ago. I remember us just having a quick question of how could an unclean animal be dedicated to God. Well, here we kind of get a little clue 
because you could redeem that animal. You wouldn't sacrifice that animal, but you could redeem that animal with um, with a monetary donation. I don't know to to the temple, you know. But but you could redeem that animal so that it would it would still it would have belonged to God, but you have uh, you you've made a compensation for it, and so so it it uh, is redeemed. Uh, it talks about tithes to support the Levites. Now, generally speaking, we think of tithes as being like 10, I think generally, usually people think of it as 10% of their income. That's not specifically pointed out right in this part until we get to what the Levites offer. But so these offerings, they would come and they would be to support the Levites and and the work that they do. And then out of that, the Levites were expected to have their own tithe and they would tithe that did specifically say 10%. And it seemed to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that 10% specifically went to Aaron. Did you get that? In verse uh, 26 says, uh, when you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a... Where did I get that? Yeah, you're, it's there. The it's tithe of the tithe. It's 28 yeah. and 29, I think. Yeah, so that's like, that was that was Aaron's specific portion uh, so so everything else got to the Levites got to keep it for themselves, but that would be like Aaron's salary, if you will, would come out of the tithes of the tithes. So that would probably that would go on down through all the high priests, I would I would imagine. But this is it's sort of a um, why it's important for us to remember to tithe even now, so that the ministry can be supported. And I know different churches have different ideas of exactly what tithe is. Some places put tithes and offerings in the same kitty, you know, the same thing, uh, and some separate them. You know, sometimes tithe is specifically for supporting ministry and offerings for, you know, paying for the building and, and you know, side stuff like that. Yeah, but uh, that, that, that uh, is kind of established here at the end of chapter 18. So sort of, sort of interesting. Numbers chapter 19 starts to talk about laws of purification. And it talks about how they would take a young heifer that had never been on a yoke, and Eleazar, Eleazar, this was his Aaron's uh, son, would take it outside the camp, slaughter it. He'd come in, he would sprinkle some of the blood seven times in front of that tabernacle. This time, everything would get burned with some cedar, with some hyssop. And some scarlet, probably scarlet thread. I don't know. Maybe you tie the uh, tie those things together and put them on the fire. Whoever does this, they become unclean till evening. They have to go and uh, wash their clothes and bathe in water. But then a clean man would take those ashes outside of the camp to a clean place, and this would be stored up for what they call the water of purification. And he would have to wash his clothes. He would be unclean until evening. Now, the reason they would do this is because people would, for various reasons, become ceremonially unclean for different things. Usually it involved anybody who was around death or touched a dead body, and they would have to purify themselves. So if uh, you touched a dead body, you were unclean for seven days. If you were around a person who died in a tent, you were unclean for seven days. If you touch someone who has died in the open field, you're unclean for seven days. Well, what would happen is that then they would take some of these ashes and they would pour water over it. And then you would, they would dip some hyssop in water. They would sprinkle it on your tent, your vessels, everybody who was there. Everything basically that had become unclean would get sprinkled with this water of purification. They would do this on the third day of their, of their uncleanness and on the seventh day of their uncleanness. Then they would wash their clothes, they would bathe, and they would be clean at the evening of that seventh day. And anybody who didn't do this, if it says an unclean man who doesn't purify themselves is cut off. No real, I mean, I can't see that there's any real medicinal purposes behind this, but um, just a general concept of death is unclean, I guess. Chapter 20. Ah, here we go. Moses' error at Kadesh, or Kadesh. So it says in the first month, and I'm thinking this must be the first month of that second year. I got a little, I got a little confused on the timeline here. 
But uh, the people had moved. They were staying in Kadesh. And here Miriam died. So I don't think this was too much after uh, she had that leprosy. Am I wrong? Am I right about that? Uh, Mine has a footnote that says, the first month of the ancient Hebrew lunar calendar usually occurs within our months of March and April. The number Mm -hmm. of years since leaving Egypt is not specified. Yeah, so we don't necessarily know what year this is in, but it was in the it was in that first month. So it was in the spring, and uh, this is where Miriam died. It's just a little side note. She doesn't get uh, she doesn't get a lot of of mention in that. But there's no water, and once again, the people come to Moses and Aaron, and it's all the same complaints. Why did you bring us here? We were better off in Egypt. We you know we we should have stayed slaves. All the same stuff, and. God comes up with an interesting solution here. And God, it seems like God rarely comes up with solutions that anybody would expect. You know, the the easiest thing would be, well, let's go somewhere where there's water, you would think. You know, why are we staying here? Let's just get up and go where there's water. So it could have made sense for God to say, go that way and, and find water. But that's not what he does. He says, take that rod that we talked about. This was Aaron's rod. Take the rod. Speak to the rock, and water will come from the rock. Well, <laughs> you can see that things are getting on Moses' nerves, because he does take the, he take the rod, uh, instead of speaking to the rock, he hits it twice. And leave, let me see here, i got to look here, because it seems like there was something he said here, and I didn't put it down in my notes. Did he say something there? Yeah. He said, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Yeah, must we bring water? So it was him and Aaron. Do we need to bring water out of this rock for you ungrateful wretches? You know, I'm I'm adding a little bit there. (laughs) (laughs) But you could imagine that had to have been the the attitude that he would have that, you know, it's like, oh, I just can't stand you people anymore. Whack, whack. There, there, there's your water. Look what I did for you. And this doesn't go well for Moses or Aaron. <laughs> I, know if I feel a little bad for Aaron here because he's just sort of the bystander, but he's in this position of authority. And it doesn't, I don't get any indication here that he corrected Moses. I don't get any here indication here that he rebuked Moses. But God says, guys, you didn't do what I told you to do. I told you to speak to the rock. Instead, you you made this all about you. You hit the rock. Now you guys will not bring the Israelites into the promised land. It's interesting because in verse 12, I mean, we see their behavior in um, earlier in, in 10 and 11, what they did. But where it came from was apparently a lack of faith. God says, because you did not believe in me. And I wondered if that was because in the past he's had Moses use use his staff to do different things. Well, it's almost, you know, we humans can end up attributing magical powers. Hmm. You know, since we don't understand how something actually happens, we can end up sort of attributing magical powers to the way that God's miracles occur. Well, I have to duplicate that or the miracle won't happen now. Mm-hmm. And that, that's yeah. basically what I got out of that was that God was like, no, you, you did, you went against what I told you to do. Instead, you used your staff like you have in the past. You did not trust me enough that I would do what I said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's that. And there's, I, I think it's uh, Moses letting this frustration get to him. And for that brief moment, just forgot that this isn't about me. This is about God. And uh, I should have I should have just done what he said. This is one of those times, those unintentional things, that even when we do things unintentionally, it still can bring a consequence on us that we didn't intend. But here God just couldn't, he just couldn't let these guys continue to lead in the capacity to be the ones to bring them into the promised land now. And it's sort of sad. And it's not like this is, you know, the end for them. But they uh, they just weren't going to be able to take part in that. 
So, uh, but it is a good lesson for us to do what think, God says. Yeah, I think that this also, I can't help but wonder, is that God has told the children of Israel, the people, you must obey. And when you do not obey, there will be consequences. And so they get turned back from the uh, promised land because they won't go in because of their lack of faith. That was the end of last week's reading. Mm -hmm. And it would appear, it would give opportunity for the people to grumble, to be like, well, we didn't obey and then we got to go die in the desert. But Moses, I mean, he disobeys and he gets a pass. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. No matter who you are, what position you hold, if you do not do what God says, there's going to be consequences. I don't even know that the Israelites would have known that Moses disobeyed. I thought I thought he tells them what exactly what he did later on. Oh, does he? Okay. Somewhere else, yeah, that he confesses in front of everybody what he did. So basically, it's a it's a it's a pretty sobering thing. Um, it's interesting. I was talking with somebody um, I was working with, and um, I said, you know, say, hey, tell me your story of faith and your journey. And and one of the interesting things they said is one of the diffi- one of the best things that happened to me where I discovered grace was when I got cancer. I was like, okay, explain. They said, well, I went into the to the uh, doctors and they said, well, you know, here's your risk factors for cancer. If you do this, 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 it all puts you at higher risk. He says, I didn't do any of those things and I still got cancer. And I felt like kind of in a way God owed me. Like, look, I did all these things. He said he realized that we we all sin. We all need grace. And he said when he realized that he was a sinner, maybe in other areas, right? But he felt pretty self-righteous. That's what he told me. He said when he realized that he wasn't as righteous as he thought he was, he began to have grace for other people. Mm. And here, I mean, we have Moses who so far hasn't done a whole lot of wrong stuff in the desert. Now, let's not forget that he murdered an Egyptian in in rage in thinking that he was going to lead the people out of Egypt. So it wasn't as if he had a, you know, perfect scorecard this whole time. But it goes to the point that everybody sinned. Mm-hmm. Everybody has sinned and everybody needs grace. And Moses does receive grace. And he does receive forgiveness. It's interesting. He doesn't get to go into the promised land here. But spoiler alert, we fast forward to, to I believe it's in the book of James, where it says that the angel of God was contending with Satan over the body of Moses mm-hmm. because Moses gets translated or he, he gets resurrected. And mm-hmm. taken to heaven. So, so specifically, it's interesting that it that it mentions that his body was taken. It wasn't just Moses' spirit went up to heaven because Moses appears in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Remember, right. Elijah gets taken to heaven alive; he never dies. And Moses has been resurrected and taken to heaven, and it's mentioned specifically. And these two appear and speak to Jesus mm-hmm. at the Transfiguration. So we got right. these really interesting things that Moses, although. It, it speaks to me that Moses wanted to go to, quote, the promised land. He wanted to go into Canaan, and he didn't get to go. But it's kind of like God was saying, like, as a consolation prize, it's like, you don't win the big teddy bear. I'm sorry. And then Moses is like, well, okay. And then God says later, it's like, well, as a consolation prize, you get this new car. You know, it's kind of like, it's like, you don't get the thing you thought you wanted, but you get something infinitely better than what you thought. Yeah, so it's not like it all goes bad for, for Moses, and uh, turns out it will turn out fine for him in the end. But he's held accountable for it. I think he that's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Aaron is laid to rest here too. But we, we'll get to Edom. We talk about that. How Edom is their cousins. Yeah, they're coming up on Edom. Remember the Edomites? I don't remember all the history there, but uh, they come from Lot. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yep, and uh, they just like they want to they want to pass through. And, and Moses sends messengers to the king. May we go through your land? And he says, no. And not only just no, but he actually raises up his military up against uh, the Israelites and says, get out of here. So they have to go around. Uh, it's just a, basically a little side note of their of their journey here. But I think that, was, that speaks, too, to the order. Like we said, it wasn't a ragtag bunch out in the desert. 
they were very organized where it says, you know what, we won't take the King's Highway or we'll we'll take the King's Highway, we'll stay in it. We won't yeah. go off to the sides or anything else, which is pretty impressive to have a million people say, you know what, we won't do that. Whatever we use, we'll buy and, you know, and make that trip. But Yeah, so it's just interesting why, curious why Edom says no other than that's a lot of people coming through and you can just imagine you start having people just traipsing through your country you might it might raise some uh some concern but anyway they don't get to go our reading today ends with the death of aaron israel moves from kadesh to mount hor and god comes along and says okay it's time aaron is going to be gathered to his people and to take him up on the mountain, we're going to give your, you're going to give Aaron's garments to Eleazar. So I take this to be the the, the priestly garments, the, the high priest. And so Eleazar becomes that high priest, and it says he dies on the mountain. He just dies right there. We don't have any indication that he was unhealthy. We don't have any indication that he was. I mean, I'm sure he was probably older, you know. But it's just this is where he dies, and his and his son will take over for him. And Israel mourns him for 30 days. We don't get really any indication before of, of the of the nation mourning like this as a whole. And I can imagine that, well, and, and, you know, this comes after people have been talking against Aaron. Of course, it wasn't probably the majority, but um, a lot of people have been talking against Aaron. But in the end, they all they all mourn his loss. It's been it's been quite the journey that he's been on with them, you know. Basically, brought up from being a nobody in Egypt to being essentially second in command or third in command. I guess if you're going to say God is first, uh, Aaron would kind of be the second in command here under Moses. But this create this is showing a new a new uh, era for the Israelites. Maybe changing of the guard. Yeah. No, too, and I look at this as, you know, if this is hard to say, but if you have to, if you're going to die, you want to die around your family, you know, and you want to be around your your closest friend, your confidant, and I think that's what it was with Aaron. He he took his son up there, he transferred his his worldly job, honor, being a priest. He got to see exactly that it was going to be passed down to his son. And, you know, to me, I, I got the kind of the impression that, you know, maybe he, you know, died with last talking to Moses and, you know, reminiscing on where they'd been, and where they'd come from and, you know, the, the trials, the tribulations, the victories. But that's kind of the way you want to go out. You yeah. know, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing, you know, most people say they want to you know, go around there with their family being there and everything else and a sense of comfort to with dying, I guess, where if you, if we kind of look ahead a little bit, most had to die alone. Well, yeah, his brother and sister, essentially, by the time he dies, his family is gone. I mean, we don't have any indication that his parents are around when he's, when they leave, uh, yeah, Egypt. Uh, so really all he's got is his, he's have to have to let, he has had to leave his Egyptian family behind. You know, there's had to have been some emotional attachment there still, you would think. Yeah. And uh, so he's essentially alone. Where's he's Zipporah? Got nephews. Like, did, did Zipporah just go home and stay with her, with her, with her family? Don't really get any indication of what's going on there. You know, I mean, we do know that Jethro brought her out, but did they stay? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, the interesting thing about being a leader is that you're not an equal, you know, and, it, and, and there's, I think there's actual value to your people, the people who are following you, not seeing you die. And it's isolation for the leader, but I don't know. Yeah. It just, you know, I mean, honestly, any, anybody who has a position sort of, you know, front and center that that position there's there's value to the individual but there's also value to the position and that's kind of like the trick 
the trick of politics. And it's, and that's kind of where it turns into a little bit of smoke and mirrors. It's like, well, there's the quality of the human that holds the role. And then there's, then there's the actual role itself. So mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of, I kind of get why he had to go off and die by himself. You know, that being said too, I was reading somewhere else too, that it was said that God was also doing it because he thought, well, he knew that Moses would be revered more in death and they would, you know, find a way to, Maybe like idolize him, you know, make sepulchers and maybe go and I guess worship probably wouldn't be a, could be the could be a word, you know, would worship him at, in death. So he they, didn't allow anybody to know where he died. They did come from Egypt and Egypt, you know, they had a lot of that. So yeah. I guess that, that makes total yeah. sense. Hadn't yeah. thought about it that way. Yeah, because he does seem to be he I mean, he died there. He was buried there. And there was really nothing for the people to... Yeah, nobody knew where it was. See, yeah. I mean, I can remember... I was in Arlington Cemetery once, and um, it seems like Ronald Reagan... Well, yeah, Ronald Reagan eventually got buried there. I can't remember if that was before or after I was there. But that was you know, quite the honor for them to put him there. I forgot where I was going with that. But it's just the idea that... Um, the idea that there's nothing... There's nowhere for anybody to go to to mourn Aaron you know not that you necessarily need a place to go but a lot of times people like that and how he it is interesting also that he how just quietly he went and and they did have mourning but it seems like maybe it wasn't totally devastating because things things went on and and uh they didn't they didn't have to see their their leader degrade and die he just kind of went away interesting thoughts I think that is going to do it for this week's discussion. Keep in mind, you can reach us at ATTB Podcast at theadventure.org. Find us on Facebook under Adventure Through the Bible. Please continue to share the podcast. We had some awesome uh, results this week. Please continue to do that. And be sure that you subscribe so that you get us each and every week. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.